Okay, so we are live. We'll wait a bit for some people to jump on. Thanks again, Director Newell, for being on the show. Um, this is super exciting. I always love when I get new people to come and talk to me because I've had Mark. I'm sure you know Mark Daniels. He's been on my show like three times. <laughs> And I'm about to have him again for my season finale because every time he's been on this show, I've had like technical difficulties of some sort. So hopefully this time we will get it and we will get it done. But I know we are already at 4 p.m. EST. We have about six viewers. If you are there, whether you're on YouTube or Facebook, just shoot a quick message in the comments. Let us know you're watching. Let us know where you're watching from. And we will get the show started in just a few seconds as we wait for some more people to hop on and view. Come on, that gotta be at least my six family members. <laughs> yeah, we had seven now, so <laughs> that's them plus one. All right, we have one viewer from YouTube, Pachancia Knowles. Hello, hello. One of my loyal viewers, my good friend. Appreciate you. <laughs> Oh, lovely. So we can get going. We have about eight viewers. I'm sure people will stroll in as time goes on. And this is recorded for anyone who does miss it. You can always check it out on YouTube, Facebook, and my website. So today we have Director Rochelle Newbold, who, as Eric called her, a powerhouse. I am super excited to have her on my show. She is currently Director of DEP, which was formerly known as the Best Commission, but DEP is the Department of Environmental Planning and Protection. Thank you so much. Director Newell for being on this show. Not a problem. Thank you for asking. Definitely. So I will give a brief introduction, but also ask you some questions, you know, about yourself, your work experience, and your educational background. And the first thing I want to ask you is, what got you interested in working in the environmental sector? Well, my family always was, you know, the Seymour Island girl kind of a story background. Always was out there. The beach was our favorite place to be. And it reminds me a lot of family and that my father, my mother, my brother and the sisters, we always, we were always out there. And so when I went to high school, I actually went to the, the government high at the time. And um, we had a, a course, a marine biology course. And um, the teacher for that course was Mr. Huell Moss. And it was through the love of that class and my love of the ocean. That is really what catapulted me um, into the environmental field. I could, I could actually remember the first thing I ever wanted to be was a ballerina. And then the second thing I wanted to be was a flight attendant because I figured I could fly around the world for free. And then a doctor and then an environmentalist. Now, was that doctor one because of your love for sciences? Yeah, actually it was. I remember my mom buying me encyclopedias and biology books. I was just fascinated with the human body. But it was not to be. It was not to be. Which, you know, I'm glad I worked out because as I looked through your bio and your information about all the work you've done, so much work. So blessed to have had you in this environmental sector, especially in our beautiful little islands in the Bahamas. So thank you for being here in the Bahamas. Um, it's You have a Bachelor of Science from the University of North Carolina. You have a Master's of Environmental Management from Duke University. And you did an executive education course at Harvard University Graduate School of Design. And that is a lot. Like I, <laughs> I'm very impressed by that. And I know you had done a project for a sustainable future for the Exuma project. 
what um, what are some of the highlights from that that you that made you choose to do that one? Well, that that project came somewhat part and parcel with dealing um, with the the Bell Island project. The owner of Bell Island wanted to um, assist with the the needs in a sustainable way with the people of Black Point. Mm -hmm. uh, so they wished they wanted to create some programs that would have dealt with the healthcare, the clinic there at Black Point. Um, the community center there at Black Point, and they wanted to use new technologies and new designs. The same thing we essentially talking about now that Dorian's hit, right? They wanted to right. bring these um, to that island to assist um, the individuals that live there because, you know, the way you reconstruct buildings to be more energy efficient and to be using, utilizing more um, heat sensitive um, construction material, but that was still conducive to the environment and to the issues of hurricanes. These are all part of that, that whole project. Um, and through that project, we were able to actually get the, the University of Harvard to institute a program that would be sensitive to the applications of Bahamians. And there have been several Bahamians that have applied and actually gotten in. Um, before that time, there weren't many applicants from the Bahamas that right. Tempted to apply to the school, but that that opened doors and that brought information and knowledge, particularly to the individuals in Georgetown. That's that's really good. And I know before the show, one of the things that popped out to me when I was looking at some of your past work and experience was the fact that you did an environmental radio talk show. You were a talk show host. And I think that's so awesome because here I am trying to do that, right? So I definitely need to hit you up after the show to get some tips and advice. And I needed project manager for Island Conservation, which dealt with species restoration and prevention of extinctions, which I believe that's where you were when I had first met you a few years ago when I was working at Bahamas National Trust. Uh, you were pro, 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 ooh, project manager for Global Environmental Facility, which is Jeff. I know any conservationist environmentalist who's had to do projects knows about Jeff. And the list, you know, it goes on. And as we go through, I'll probably end up popping things back in. But we definitely want to get started about the topic for today, which is DEPT, Department of Environmental Planning and Protection and International Agreements. And I know it was formerly the Best Commission, but can you maybe talk about why the change? What made the Best Commission change into DEP? Is that is that what you call it, DEP for short? <laughs> well, that's the acronym. And we try to be careful because sometimes people get confused with the Department of Physical Planning, which is quite close to the same thing. <laughs> he has one. Um, but yeah, the Department of the Environment was something that was in the making for more than 20 years. Um, we in the Bahamas, when we were one of the first small island developing states to host the Convention on Biological Diversity, which was a proud moment for the Bahamas. And we had all sorts of dignitaries and, and representatives from all over the world come to the Bahamas. And the first question they asked was, well, where is your your Ministry of Environment. I mean, where is that? And, and we, you know, in true Bahamian form, we looked around and we were like, give me a minute, I'll be right back. And the best commission was born. I mean, this is, this is, you know, somewhat an embellishment, but it was essentially the whole story of how it happened. And so under that, um, that uh, program, 
the Bass Commission came into power. The first ambassador was Miss Linola Wesco, and some technical people um, was engaged with that. Miss Stacy Mutri, myself, um, the Kira Gaskin, who now heads up the Port Authority. We were the first technical officers to be um, employed under the Bass Commission. And over the years, there would have been others that would have come through the doors. But during our stint there, we, we saw the need and everybody knew the need for an environment. We had the, the environment as it relates to management in the country was fractionated amongst a plethora of ministries. Everybody had a little bit and pieces of it. And so we had drafted um, legislation from way back then in the early 2000s to try to uniform and unite these environmental pieces because you cannot one manage in a silo or manage in isolation of having a full picture of what it is you're dealing with so when in 2019 that act was passed you know it was a long time in coming now it had gone through various iterations it, it does it isn't what it was when it was first drafted but at this point we are working and willing to work with what we have because you have there has to be a starting point and this is where we start and actually wow you have been you were there in the beginning and now you're here to see this change from best commission to deaf <laughs> and, and i'm even careful when i pronounce it just because and so what are what are some of the actions that are taken with deaf now to ensure the conservation and sustainability because that's typically what the work is that you guys are doing yeah, the, the act is very, very extensive and it's very far reaching. The act requires that we have an environmental management or an environmental plan for the country. It, it requires that there be a conservationist approach, there be a development, a sustainable development approach. It requires that there be regulations and there be audits and there be um, actual plans that are presented and reviewed on a, on a timely basis. So what i love about the act is that it makes it a legal mandate a requirement something we can't run away from you know it doesn't say well the minister shall determine if and when right it's very right. very clear and it's very direct this shall happen at this point in time so we now know my staff and i at the department we are working feverishly to try and truly get a grasp on what this act is going to be how we are going to implement it, given the fact that at the worst possible time, one would say that this thing actually comes into being, we now have to do the most important work for the country. Because before, as a, the best commission, we were an advisory group. We were brought into the, we were brought to the table when it was thought necessary. As a department, we are at the table 24 seven, right? and there's no getting around it. Um, I know in the Bahamas, there is, a, there is an environmental movement. So there are the supporters who understand and believe, they bleed green, you know, they really want things done right. But there's also a segment of society that find it to be a hindrance and a weight. And I don't know why this is happening now when you know, they see a different type of green and it's trying to define the balance because the one thing our, us, our, we as a department cannot do, we cannot be the quintessential tree huggers because we live on an island. The population numbers are not going down, they're going up. And therefore there is a need 
there will be a need for space. There will be need, a need for um, resources. There will be a need that for um, individuals to be able to not only enjoy, but to benefit from the environment. Because the environment is of no use if people cannot benefit from it. And trying to find that, that balance, that happy medium, is something that we are required to do under that, 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 that bit of legislation. And we are moving fast and furious with this legislation. And those individuals would note that they go on our website right now, you will see several other um, draft pieces of legislation that are, that are coming forward. And these are all necessary to try to give us a firm foundation for which we can then build upon. And we truly encourage everybody to take a look at those pieces of legislation to give their comments and recommendations and suggestions such that we will ensure that we can really start off on a good foot. This this act is, it's what, November, 11 months old. And it's not even truly 11 months old, right? Because it spent some days in the intensive care incubator before it actually left the hospital, um, to use an example. But this is a, this is a, a very important and critical time for the country. And I think that we as Bahamians should embrace this. Right. Well, there is no change that does not come about without some level of discomfort. You want to learn to walk, you're going to fall down a couple times. Okay. Um, it's just about managing the level of damage that you, you encounter. Your parents putting the bumper um, things on the edge of tables and stuff so that you don't crack your head open. It's all about the management of it, but it will be a learning curve. It will be a bit of discomfort for the country as we seek to implement the things of the law. Definitely. So I know that one of the things that the department deals with, um, and which can also be found on your website, I put that in the comments for everyone to check out in case they have not seen the website before, are these international agreements and projects that we sign on to. And so what are they and why? Like, why does the country decide to sign on to these international agreements? So if you could just talk a bit about that. I know we have, of course, a mouthful of acronyms like IWECO, ICZM, you have the Pine Islands. Why, why are we a part of these types of international agreements? Well, the international agreements that we would be a part of are more like the Stockholm Convention on Persistent Organic Pollutants or the Minamata Convention on Mercury or the Basel Convention on the, the Control of Transparent Boundary Movement of Hazardous Waste or the Climate Change Convention, which seeks to deal with issues of sea, sea level rise and the amount of CO2 being generated. These are the conventions that we are a party to that then result in certain national projects like what you talked about, the IW Echo and the, the Bahamas Pine Island projects. They are the output of being a part of these agreements. So say, for example, um, the Stockholm Convention on Persistent Organic Pollutants. Whether the Bahamas wishes to or not, we don't produce most of the things that are of environmental concern on a global scale, right? But we somehow end up being the recipients or the benefactors one way of the, of, or the other of the products. So what happens in the international arena for the environment is that there is an understanding that the world does not exist in isolation, no matter how there's the United States, there's Europe, there's Africa, there's South America. It doesn't matter. We all share one ocean. We all share one planet. And the way we utilize the resources of the planet 
and the way we generate waste that then impacts the planet will eventually impact us all. And small countries like the Bahamas, we don't have a very big voice because we don't control global markets. But we need to protect ourselves from changes that are done by others. So the persistent, the, the persistent organic pollutants, right? So right. we have all kind of uh, furniture and chemicals and paints, you know, that we import that cheap that we keep into the country. But our biggest problem is when these things reach their end of life, or when we decide that we're getting a new set of furniture or whatever the case may be, right. we get left with these waste products. These waste products may have been created from the 60s and now we have an under, a better understanding of how these chemicals break down over time. Um, say for instance, with the um, transformers that we use for our electricity, right? And when they first came out, they contained PCBs, right? Mm -hmm. and over the years, the world realized that these PCBs chemicals, well, one, they were not good for human health. They weren't good for anybody on the planet's health. Any warm-blooded creature was susceptible of being um, having these things be um, taken into their bodies and then having a system disruption process happening. You have cancer rates and all sorts of things happening that get into the food chain um, be it meat or even plant material, and then you're consuming it, so it has a bioaccumulator. So scientists come up with alternatives. Okay, so we're not going to use um, this particular oil anymore. We'll use something else. But then the stockpile of these chemicals from the manufacturer, they're like, well, we're, we're not just going to throw this away. We've invested money in these things. So they then start to offer a fire sale, and, you know, and <laughs> so we like this. Yeah. <laughs> And just for example, so, you know, the power companies be like, wow, we could get these real cheap. And so they go ahead and they buy them without the knowledge of what's really going on here. And they litter them throughout the country. And now we're stuck with these chemicals all throughout. But being a party to international conventions like the Stockholm Convention, they will, they will alert countries. They'll be like, hey, we know we have a global problem. We know we have a global stockpile. You the manufacturers of these chemicals, you need to figure out how you're gonna deal with this. You countries who would generally have bought these, do not buy these anymore. You need to buy the alternatives. Do you need assistance in trying to understand what's really going on and what you should do? Let's have a convention so that everybody can have all the facts on the table and we understand what needs to be done. And for countries that may not have the human capacity, the understanding and the knowledge, the technology or the finances, we'll put together certain programs that would assist them to bring them up to a certain level such that they can protect themselves from these very nice suited, well-speaking persons who will want to give them these fire sale products. So that's what environmental conventions are really about. It's about bringing about the, the global environmental issues putting them on a platform where all countries are equal such that they can discuss and they can be uh, informed about the issues and the concerns. And then having those who are less capable of dealing with the matter, providing some level of support. So why wouldn't the Bahamas want to be a part of something like that? Because we know we have a limited set of resources. We know we have 
we are bereft in terms of technology to deal with things on this matter. And there aren't many of us running around inventing anything that would give us an opportunity to, to identify an alternative. So right. to, be, to be a part of that global discussion and to get that understanding and then to come home and determine what we need to do and what we need to stop doing and also be able to write programs and projects that would give us the support to address some of the most immediate needs helps us to strengthen our capacity in this moving forward in the, in the present global environment for environmental protection. And remember, Nadine, the whole issue of the environmental movement is relatively new. It's just since the 70s. So, <laughs> and we, we were just finding ourselves as a nation in the 70s. So right. the environment, we, we are, in my opinion, we are coming upon our environmental revolution. We just rode the curtails of the United States in the, in the fashion of always mimicking what they did. But I think we are now truly coming to a certain level of understanding on a national level about the environment. Definitely, and I totally agree with you on that last point. And I've spoken to other peers and colleagues and even people who are not in the conservation sector. Like lately, more people I found in the Bahamas are becoming more aware of these issues and more conscious of their impact on the environment. And you see a lot of businesses, small businesses starting up where they're making organic soaps and they're, they're selling these steel straws and they're understanding that, you know, plastic is bad. And so I do think while the world may have been, you know, on their environmental revolution, the Bahamas is now catching the wave, right? So to speak. And I'm excited about it. I'm definitely excited. And I do think that eventually we will start inspiring some inventors and, and other people to come up with sustainable solutions for things in country and possibly make us known for something unique and green like that. And I see here that we do have a question. Excuse me. We do have a question from Eric Carey, our good friend. Sorry, remind me. Have we signed the card to Jenna? Jenna? I don't know if I pronounced that properly. The card in the protocol? convention and specifically its regional spa protocol which especially protected areas for wildlife yes yes we have we've signed on to that awesome that's good to know and i see i see there's a comment as well i still see plastic items which were banned earlier this year being sold in food stores was the ban extended due to COVID, or are these selling these items illegally i'm not sure if that comes under your remit or if you want to make a comment on that one i know the ministry of environment does have the plastic ban, but did you want to speak on that or should we let someone in the comments address that? Yeah, so th that's that gives me the opportunity to explain two points. Good. With respect to the Ministry of Environment, right? The Department of Environmental Planning and Protection is the department within the ministry. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think Bahamians have a clear understanding if I do an example of the Ministry of Works. Like you have the Ministry of Works and the Ministry of Works, you know, you have to go where you're building control when you're gonna get your house built. You gotta go to the volatile section if you got a, a gas station and you wanna get a permit for that. Right. And so there are different agencies within that ministry, um, but yet they're all under one ministry. The Ministry of the Environment is similar. The Ministry of Environment has under its portfolio the Department of Environmental Protection and Planning, which deals with all matters relative to the environment. And when I say the environment, I mean flora and fauna, right? And then it has the Department of Environmental Health Services, which deals predominantly with matters relative to things that affect human health, right? Um, then we have the Bahamas um, Geographical and Information Services, Bingus, and then Bingus. we have 
the Ministry of the Department of Housing, and then we have the Mortgage Corporation. So all of these things are under there. And plastic is within the department's preview. Mm -hmm. uh, people would have most commonly um, been interacting with Dr. Neely um, when, the, when it was the best commission and then Dr. Neely would have been up at the ministry. But Dr. Neely is now in, within all the technical officers in the ministry are within the department and the, the plastic issue is a part of that department's work as it relates to individuals identifying plastic still being sold within the country uh, or, or expression at certain places and what the ban is in effect it came in effect in january and i think people had until there was a, a grandfathering process until june and that that is now passed anybody who is selling or utilizing any plastic products that they ought not to be utilizing just um, give us a call and let us know and we'll definitely go and check it out, find out what's going on there. But because right. the, the point of, of fact is it can't be something that's been imported because I can tell you custom is, Customs is very well aware and implementing this whole issue of an imported product, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it has to be, the assumption would probably be that this has been some stockpile that was here for a little while and yes. now with COVID, people just start bringing things out. You know how it is. Yeah. But, you know, send us a report. We'll check yeah. it out. So definitely, um, so anyone who was wondering, if you do see stores still selling these single-use plastics, just send a report, give them a call. And I know that you guys have an app for reporting, correct? Yeah. Thank you. I was going to go right into that. We do <laughs> have an app, um, the Best Protect 242 app. You mm -hmm. with Android and the PlayStation, you download it. The one thing we love about this app is the fact that this app has an embedded georeference file. So we are tired, and I don't know why. Why would Bahamians post things that are not true for the Bahamas? Mm. You know, you use pictures that are taken from other places around the world, and then you say this is happening in the Bahamas. And this, I mean, we have seen them all sharks swimming past. Yeah windows in Grand Bahama during the hurricane, all sorts of stuff. Why do people do this, right? But our georeference in the app, once you take a photo and that app gets uploaded, we know exactly where you are, what time it was taken, and that <laughs> helps to validate the issue because mm -hmm. we, we know that we don't have a whole bunch of resources, especially if somebody in Rumkey complaining about some environmental damage. Oh, Rumpke, yeah. yeah. You can't even get a plane to Rumpke. You got to go hang out to the airport and see if you see a pilot and find out if he's going to Rumpke today and try to get something sorted out. So that helps us. And it also provides the legal documentation should this matter ever have to go to the level of going to court. It ain't right. The picture was doctored up or that wasn't from this country or that was from 20 years ago when stuff come up. You know, and it, and it wasn't even anything that happened this year, something that happened four years ago, even those sorts of stories. Right. I really wish people would, would truly seek to communicate um, accurately and clearly and, and not, not, not uh, generate this whole issue of false news and false information because they give credit and credence to these thoughts and, and people become wary and then they just become disbelieving in everything. And now you have a whole different problem. Yeah. 
So, and can you just one more time so I can send it in the comments, what is the full name of the app to use for reporting? Best Protect 242. Best Protect. I like that. <laughs> awesome. So, and Eric actually has another question, which will bring me on to the next point about permits and research permits. Um, oh, I think I lost it. So are there, or is there a special form or no, a special, no, are there special formal permits needed from depth for wetland restoration, i.e. restoring, and he adds creeks and flats? Yeah, it all depends. Anybody doing any sort of work, there isn't a wetland permit per se, but anybody who is doing some, doing any work in the, in the physical environment, um, whether they're taking undertaking restoration activities, nonetheless, even, I mean, we support all sorts of restoration activities, but the law also requires that the work that anybody undertakes is actually legitimate. You know, like you mm -hmm. feel that you're going to go and you're going to do this. And I, I had a conversation with somebody the other day, they were taking mangrove propercules from one place and then they were putting them in another place, you know, and we're like, um, who gave permission for that? You're you you're moving biological resources from one area, and you're putting it in another area. What mm. factual information are you utilizing that determines that can be removed from that ecosystem without damage, and that can be taken over to that ecosystem, and that's going to enhance it? We mm. cannot have rogue environmentalists just going out there and doing any and everything. There must be order and there must be purpose. And right. as it is our job as a department to ensure the environmental sustainability, anybody coming and undertaking any sort of work on that certain of level needs to have a conversation with us. As mm -hmm. I said, right now, there is there is no such thing as, an, as a uh, wetland restoration permit. But nonetheless, there is a need to get permission to, like I said, to take resources from one place to another. And so, okay, you're not taking anything from here, but you're getting something from someplace outside the country. Even more so our concerns with the importation of plant material, um, phytosanitary certificates, the introduction of bacteria and viruses on, on those sort of things. The government through the Ministry of Agriculture will have a, definitely a question to deal with that. Right. And the department, with our interest in our working relationship with that department, would also want to be able to know because what in what agriculture may not necessarily know because they have more of a food focus about everything, food security issues. We may have more of a focus about the genetic introductions, even mm -hmm. though things may look the same. You may necessarily be introducing something that ends up becoming an invasive and overrunning the, nat the, nat the natural and native population. So, yeah. So I know there is another question about the app. So before we fully jump into the permitting subject, um, and this is from Kasserina. Hey, Kasserina. Uh, what is the process for people to follow up on reports made through the Best Protect 242 app? Well, once you download the app and you take a picture and you get a notification, that that notification comes to us. Okay. And if you do not indicate, because the app allows you to, to report anonymously, 
as well as it allows you to say who you are such that you will then be given an update about it. If you if you download the app and you want to be anonymous and you send us the information, we will definitely look into the information. But because you responded anonymously, then there's no way for us to advise you of the status. Right. Uh, we know who you are, who making the 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 uh, the inquiry, then we definitely would give you an update on the status of things. Right. And I know we okay, moving into the permitting topic. We have Antelino Lino Davis. Is there funding from your department for supporting research that supports your work? Do the permits cost anything for local scientists? That's an interesting question. Yeah, um, if you read the act, you would see that the act speaks to two types of fund. It talks, mm -hmm. it talks about an administration fund and then it talks about an environmental fund. Any such financial generation of funds that occur under the department's preview are to go into these funds, which are then utilized to undertake matters related to our work. Anybody right now, there's a certificate of environmental clearance. It's a fee that allows the undertaking for development. Nobody, according to clause 11 of the act, nobody, no, let me start over. <laughs> Notwithstanding any other law in any other act, nobody can undertake development without first having a certificate of environmental clearance. Now, believe you me, that's a very strong and heavily weighted statement, which has given my colleagues within government much strokes and heart palpitations, right? Because... We had to figure out, you mean, if they want to put up a wall, if they can put a fence in the yard, you know how behemoths, you know how we go. We got to go all the far left. We got to run out. Right. And I say, notwithstanding any other law in any other act, what the law states is what the law states. And we had to do it. So that, 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 um, that, that, um, that, that clause speeds into the need for people have to make applications. So now there's an application fee. It talks about the environmental bond and then there's the environmental bond fees that must be paid. And then we're gonna have, when it comes to research, when you look on our website, that ABS Act is gonna be one that manages um, and gives uh, a sense of a comprehensive approach to research in the country and those are gonna um, require fees, fees not only for the researchers themselves, but also fees for the institutions who are conducting the research. So there's gonna be a lot of change coming in 2021. Right. Uh, and people need to make sure that they take every opportunity to become aware of those said changes so that they can position themselves accordingly. Right, and so ABS, that's, I, I feel like access, and I was the first word. Share. Access and benefit sharing. Awesome. And so, and then the question, um, so local scientists will still have to then pay these costs and fees um, that are being lined out then. I guess I'll ask Anselino, why wouldn't we have to pay? We have to pay for everything we do. Pay the light bill, the water bill, food <laughs> store, but then, and the reason too, to, to be fair, behemoths will have to pay behemoths. We know that there's going to be a, sta a staired approach to the, the payment structure, like Bahamian students studying in Bahamian universities in country will 
either be able to pay or be able to give a waiver, depending on what it is. Bahamian students who are studying in U.S. universities, oh, they're going to pay. And you'd be like, well, why, why, I, I'm still a Bahamian, why can pay? Because you working under a regime, the information that you get doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the professor under whom you work. And that professor under whom you work have a contract with pharmaceutical companies. Mm. And, and we are trying to, to dig deep into this matter because the Bahamas has already suffered losses. Okay. Multi-billions of dollar losses to the pharmaceutical discoveries that we did not put in place because we didn't have a law. And when you ask here again about the International Convention, the Nagoya Protocol was one where they determined that the Monsantos and the Colaxo Crimes and all these big countries were going into small, I mean, companies were going into small countries like the Bahamas, and they were just collecting and doing all kind of research, and we were just happy and smiling and welcoming them. And then even in, in situations where we may have had relationships with scientists for years, and then they came up on, a, on something, and the next thing you know, slam, bam, they did a patent on us and lock us out of everything. And you're like, whoa, and we thought, he, she was our friend, and, and right. here we are as a country now. We have to buy the medication that was discovered from the resources within our own country. Mm. So, yeah, we, we that time is now past, okay? And we need to wake up, and we need to realize, too, that we as Bahamians, because we are Bahamians, there is no free ride. In order to benefit from and in order to sustainably use your environment, you will also have to contribute. Hmm. The level of that contribution is always something of, of, of up for discussion, but nonetheless, it is in existence, you know? Nobody complains about paying for the visa to go to America, but then when you tell them they gotta pay for a permit to do something in the country, and people wanna have a long conversation. Hmm. Oh, good to know. I know we do have another question from Kessarina. Um, could you please speak a little more about the new environmental bond under the new EPA regulations? Well, the bond, the new environmental bond by law can be up to 5% of whatever the project is. That does not, the law does not say it's X dollars. It says it's the percentage of whatever that project is, and it could be from one to five. So it's a varying scale. Some projects may warrant the bond some projects may warrant a bond because of the nature of the work that they're involved in. And some projects may not warrant a bond because they're not doing anything that has the potential of having a significant and long-term impact to the environment. Don't, I don't want people to misbelieve just because you have a project that then you automatically may have to pay a bond. The bond is only put in place as a protection for any potential damage should the developer seeks to walk away right. like they did with the Gin project, just walk away and then we leave with a scarified area. Mm -hmm. That's what the bond is for because every project that comes through and gets a CEC does not need to have a, an environmental bond attached to it. Right. And so we do have another question from Lino. Will the field stations and universities in the Bahamas have umbrella permits to allow research to be conducted broadly without excessive burdens on individuals? There will be no umbrella permits. No. Why? Okay. Why would we do that? Why would we do that? Well, I feel like 
You, you're ahead. definitely the most asked guest on my show. Like, these are questions are flying in. I know we have another one from Eric who promises this is his final question. So to seek permission to conduct restoration, submit a detailed description of the proposed works to depth then if opening up creeks involves using heavy equipment. Yes, I mean, first and foremost, you would you should submit a proposal with respect to the work. Um, and, and individuals who aren't sure as to what that proposal would should be, I'd say call, call the department to make sure we don't cause you undue necessary stress because we're sending your document back because we feel you haven't provided the level of information that we would want to, we would want in order to consider the project and give an endorsement on approval for it. Because um, anything that, that involves earthworks, anything that involves changing the environment for the good, all we would hope would always be for the good or for a different benefit has to come to the department for the department to be assured. There's no way the department is, is legally tasked with managing a database of information. So we can't have people doing things and we not having an understanding of what that is, the benefit that would accrue such that that information would be reflected in the database. Oh, a thousand creek systems were restored through the reopening of the creek mouth and allowing them to float. Well, if we don't know that, then we can't necessarily report on that, or we can't verify when people make statements to that regard. Right. So, and I know Lena has another question about the fees. Um, I'll pop that up as well. Will the funds be kept separately and reported on in a specific report on the debt financial status and funding access? Yeah, the law requires that there be a financial report and an audit. I think Definitely. it's one, either it's one once every year or once every five years. I may be getting the reporting mechanisms a little mixed up, but it's in the act. It's very yeah. clear and there's no getting around it. Definitely. And I know, and the last point about reporting on the app, for someone who has given their information, can they just maybe call the department to follow up on something they've reported? Or is that like an email system that you use to just kind of check in like that? The app has its own email system, but individuals can definitely call um, to ask. The app has its own email system in that when you upload the information, it comes through to us through that email system. Okay. But you as an individual wouldn't see that address per se. Okay. You should just get a notice that um, your 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 stuff has been uh, successfully uploaded or something like that. It says. Right, and so I do still want to ask my question on the permits. Um, when someone wants to apply for a research permit, for people out there who have no idea how to do this, how do you apply for this permit? And then what happens with this research? How can someone access the research that has been done in the Bahamas? So how do you apply for a permit? And how do you get access to information that has been um, attained from this research? So let's be clear here. From 1973 to now, we don't know what these people have been doing because we didn't have no law that required them to report or nothing. We had a policy in place that people, once we give them a permit, they should report. And some people were very good about it. They did send back reports. And then some people send you back a ticket tape of stuff. You don't know what that means. But as far as they're concerned, they met their obligation to report, right? Mm -hmm. This new regime that is going to come in 2021 will be requiring that researchers provide the reports. Those reports would be put in a database. Those databases, according to the DEP Act, 
requires that there be an environmental registry where the public can gain access to information um, that's generated or provided to the department, right? right? So when this act passes, right now there is an 18 month moratorium in country. No research mm. can be undertaken or, ex or would result in an export. That's how it started. No export under research would be occurring in this part in this country and that was in May, started in yeah. May, supposed to end May of last year and it's supposed to end November of this year. Oh, okay, 18 months, right. And so we had COVID. Mm. Mm. So you know that, that slowed down things a lot. So that moratorium will probably just come to an end. It won't it will come to an end when the law is passed. Okay. It, it's it's desired that this law gets passed sometime in December, and if not December, in early January. Right. But at, at this time, we still have researchers who are like, yeah, I come into your country anyway. And we're like, okay, cool, you can come. We got hotels, we got beaches. Well, that depends on which part of the COVID season you come in. Right. But everybody will need a, a permit. Everybody will need to follow the conditions that are assigned to the permit. And actually, what is going to happen is there's going to be one portal one permitting portal where anybody wanting to do research, Bahamian or non-Bahamian, national or international, you will have to come through that one portal. That portal will determine if you are deemed approved mm -hmm. or denied. Okay. That portal will also have a fee that's non-refundable, regardless if you approve or denied. So when Which you there, it takes time to process these in human time. Like persons have to do this, so. I'm glad you see that because there'll be people who'll be like, well, you never used to charge us before. Mm. Yeah, well, we grew up and we got smarter. So now we're going to charge you, okay? Mm. When you know better, you do better, right? Yes. <laughs> so when you get that, when you come through the portal and you put in your information, you want your name, rank, serial number, and DNA. <laughs> but there will be a registration process. So that's the first step. You must get registered in the portal. The portal will give that individual a unique identifier number and an ORCID number, right? That ORCID number, if approved, you can then say, oh, I want to do research in the marine environment. And that portal will direct your application to the Department of Marine Resources who will then review the intended research and mm -hmm. determine whether or not that either meets a program of activity or uh-uh, we ain't interested in that and we don't want that happen in the country. And so they will either reject or accept the application for the undertaking of the research, right? And that's just one example. No, and it's interesting you say that. I feel like that can kind of tie into this other question that um, Lino has asked. Does DEP have a formal mechanism for recognizing local experts in certain fields that visiting scientists should consult or who will be consented by DEP on visitor research? Do we have a database of our experts in country? That's the first question. Right? <laughs> so, I, I don't know that we do. I mean, each of us know people, you know? Yeah. And so we know these people who might know other people, right? Um, the law at this point does not require us to have a registry of scientists. It's not hmm. stated anywhere that we have to keep a registry of scientists. And that's a little dicey too, because, you know, every researcher ain't necessarily a researcher. You know, there's pseudoscience, there's all sorts of things. And 
and that might be a whole nother area whether or not we're prepared to get into that or not i don't know but the, the law does require us to keep a registry of environmental um, consulting firms that is individuals who are to go out there and provide the services of producing eias and emps for the department like nobody can just say jump up and be like oh i'm the Heyman scientist, you know me. Why do I need to do that? No, <laughs> I don't know you. And I need you to prove who you are and the capabilities which you claim to have because I don't follow your career nodal, nor do I, you know, have a vested interest in, in following up on what you do. And unfortunately, Behemans sometimes get offended that you would ask such things. But how are you to know? If I had mm -hmm. to go to a court of law and I'd be like, Yeah, Mary Jane's my friend, and yeah, I know her for many years, but you know, she said she's an aborigine, but I mean, I didn't ask because, you know, she's my friend. No, no, that's not how it works. You have to prove, everybody has to prove. And then you have to also ensure that the information that you're providing is within your capabilities to one, acquire, and two, mm -hmm. make recommendations in regard thereof. Like, there will be no assumptions. One thing right. in our department, we don't assume anything. Right. Our job is to be like scientists. You got to prove that to be true. Exactly. And I know Lino has also shouted out his Facebook page, the Beings page, which I've been a part of for a few years now. The Bahamians Educated in Natural and Geospatial Sciences. I also feel like Lino could be the one to kind of start that draft and, and create the list of scientists in country and their qualifications and all that good stuff. So I think that'll be something great for him to kind of produce and, and give to you guys with his lovely time. <laughs> So, but, but, but Shanti, just so I'm very, very clear, because I don't. One thing I don't like to do, I don't like misdirect people, and I don't, I don't mm -hmm. like people to have expectations that I know I can't give or deliver on. In fact, we do require that opportunities be provided for be Bahamians to be engaged in research with researchers. That has been a standing policy from I came to government. Okay. I benefited from such a policy myself, but it is very, very difficult. Listing of Bahamians or no listing of Bahamians to find Bahamians to participate, especially if there is something that we have wanted Bahamians to be on that ship or be on a, a, be on that um, field visit. Mm -hmm. Everybody got a life, they got school, they got family, who ain't got children, yeah. they got one job, you know. Mm -hmm. So it is not for the government. That's a private sector endeavor. The government is going mm -hmm. to make that opportunity available. If there is a listing of Bahamians, they should go and they should make themselves known such that they would be like, hey, I mean, I heard this certain, certain project was approved. I'd be interested in being a Bahamian to take part in that. I am not going to be calling nobody. I'm just going to tell you right up. Nor right. am I going to be telling people, you need to use people off this list. <laughs> I don't know these people. Right. All I know, I could be setting the government up for some serious legal <laughs> But that's true. To the be law, fair. yeah, the law will be there that opens the door that mm -hmm. would allow Bahamians to have the participation because the researchers also have to be comfortable that anybody that they will be responsible for, because there is a liability even in us saying that. You mm -hmm. go on the boat and in the middle of the night you fall off and then everybody will know what, you, what happened to you and then they all claim that the people knock you off because you find out something secret. At that time, you just 
fell off the boat, right? So there's a level of responsibility there. So the researcher may say, hey, this is, this is what I'm doing. If, mm -hmm. I, if I am to comply with this, I would need the individual to have at least a minimum, a bachelor's degree in this yeah. particular area. I see, we're not going to undertake that sort of an exercise. I would, yeah. I would be lying to tell you that. But people need to, to, to have themselves vetted in that manner such that they can contribute. Oh, you know, I wasn't expecting the government. I, I volunteered Lino <laughs> to, to, yeah, take, yeah. to make that his pet project to find out who are the people in country. Yeah, I was, I was speaking to the, the whole process of that. Yeah, yeah. And the beings and all of that. Definitely. Um, and I know actually my next question is going to be about how people can get involved, but I see that um, on the topic of ABS, I know Eric already said he asked his last question, but I'll, I'll give him this one too. Uh, will ABS also cover the Bahamas against exploitation by profit filmmakers? For example, those who come under research permits then later produce income producing for profit ventures. Yikes, that definitely sounds like something. So people who come under a research permit, collect film footage, and then later on produce this, you know, money-making film in the Bahamas. See, the issue of the filming was always a mandate of the Ministry of Tourism. Hmm. And, and it, it has been um, that tourism would need to give a permit for such undertaking. Any imagery coming out of the Bahamas must be under the permit of it, something issued by tourism. So the question then is, has tourism been following up or we just so happy that people filming us that we've been paying close attention? So I don't know that I can I can really answer that question uh, about the imagery, but I do know that if such an undertaking is provided through a permit that will be done um, through this whole permitting process, mm -hmm. that will be addressed in the issuance of that permit or if they don't disclose that as part of the permitting process, it will open the door for us to then seek some sort of financial restitution because right. they will be required to declare any and all use of information, data, or imagery that is coming out of the country under the permit that they, they have been granted. Yeah, I had actually, it's funny. I had no idea that Ministry of Tourism would be the one to go to for you know this imagery and filmmaking. So. I just learned something again today. So thank you for sharing that. And I know, like I said, my next question for you is about how can people get involved with working with DEP? Um, I know we talked about the app. So if citizens want to kind of do reportings and they see things, they can check the website for the regulations and the legislations. But how can people possibly look towards making DEP a part of their career path? And I know I've, I've seen some postings here and there, but how can how can someone get involved with you guys and maybe work with or for you guys? We we do have an internship program that we've been running for years, but and and one of the just last week, uh, my staff asked about how could we move forward given COVID um, with that program, and and it is a challenge uh, because while my staff and I have have a level of exposure interacting with one another. Yeah. Introducing individuals from outside our circle is something of a concern. So we we have not mm -hmm. yet determined how that can occur or if that will occur. Um, it's something we're still trying to, to grapple with and see if there is any opportunity there. Because most often 
there is no way for you to really get an appreciation if you are not within within the housing under which the, the work is taken. I mean, because it'll just be like, well, Google that. I don't know. Yeah. You need to be there and understand and see the process unfold and interact with the individuals. That's mm -hmm. how people will benefit most. Yeah, I agree. And what about um, people looking to work, like someone who has already gone off to school and has their qualifications and wants to begin working, you know, in the environmental sector and possibly trying to get involved with the department? Um, to be honest with you, I want, I'm wondering what is happening because um, just before COVID, there should have been a crop of graduate students. And then during COVID, there should have been a crop of graduate students. And we have had no less than seven seven, um, no, more than seven. <laughs> we have had at least 20 job offerings, right? What? Project managers that we have posted on ads. We've sent a bean several times. Cable <laughs> um, Bahamas, ZNest, the wow. newspaper, Facebook posts on our website, and crickets, literally crickets. Wow. I mean, so much so that we've had people from Brazil and Canada, Canadians and Brazilians, nationals, wow. applying for jobs. And I'm like, wait a minute, the people who claim they ain't have no work, where are they? We went on a radio talk show and we talked about this. Nothing, nothing. I, I don't understand. I don't even know how to answer that question because we're still trying to figure it out. And you know, and to be fair, being a recent graduate, um, unfortunately, I've been swiped up by PIMS. I only saw maybe three or four, and I know a couple of things. I just was kind of like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I've experienced in it. But where could people find that right now? Like, if someone who's listening is like, oh, wait, I want to, you know, see this, or I might be able to do it. What? Um, where could they find it? Is it on the website? We have a standing um, portal careers at death.gov.bs. Mm -hmm. Right now we're looking for somebody, you know, with an with IT flavor, GIS flavor, to help us um, improve our uh, web page and our Facebook page in terms of being the level of rapid responsiveness, eh? Because right now, if we want to change our Facebook page or our web page, our website, uh, particularly, it, it it is it's a it's a it's a a process because I got to yeah. write PS and PS got to write this person da, 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 right um, yeah. and if, if we were able to manage it from within the department itself we'd be like hey Joe uh, go put this up on the web page blah 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 right uh, so that for me is something I'm really trying to to get somebody in on because that's something as we become more responsive to the questions and the needs of the people. That's the best way if you're able to send them to, to check this one site, this one portal, as much as you want, check it out. If what you're looking for isn't there, then give us a call and we'll see how we can help you. That will be the best and most direct way for us to be able to keep the public informed about things, right? right. Secondly, um, like I said, the careers at gov. I mean, the careers at depth.gov.bs is the portal whereby we direct in any of our terms of reference advertising or employment opportunities. We, we always tell the people, send me your resume through that. Um, right. And that say is open all the time. 
because we're always looking. At this point, we have at the, at the department about 10 to 12 technical officers. The mm -hmm. department will need about 80 technical officers to be fully operational. Right. So we, we know that we are in a phase of growth in terms of growth. Uh, mm -hmm. We have no, no misunderstandings or dreams that under this regime of financial strain that we're going to turn around in 2021 and we're going to have 80 people employed. Right. That's not going to happen. What we are trying to do is we're going to have to build a core and then add to that core and then add to that and then add to that as the things emerge and as we start to address more and more issues, then we can roll out um, these the need for these officers and finding ways of engaging them. That's that's how we see it. A lot said, of, go ahead. No, no, I, I just wanted to quickly get the email. You said careers at DEPP, D-E-P-P. Uh-huh. Dot gov, G -O -V, dot B -S. Awesome. What were you getting to say? Yeah, I was going to say that even though the law is very expensive and even though um, we really do support and we encourage people to put our feet to the fire in terms of implementing that law, because I do not wish my department to ever be caught sleeping on the job. But I also ask people to, to, to be realistic in terms of what it is. The law just came into place. How do you expect that all of a sudden something with regards to um, one of the deliverables is going to be right there? We, we have the GIS system. We have the database system, blah, 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 blah. No, no. It's going to take time. We're going to have to build to that. But there are some things that we can um, institute and implement immediately. And those are the things that we um, are, are reaching out and trying to do. And then there, there's the next set of things. And then there's a next, we have a plan. Mm -hmm. have a plan. So if you could spare me just a few more minutes, I know we've hit the hour. Um, Basically, so one thing to point out is people who maybe aren't super science focused, they could potentially find a career at DEP. I know you said something about IT and the website. And even Kasserina has said, you know, it's you need somebody who is constantly updating a website to get proper public engagement. And I think when people think of the environment and conservation, they immediately think, oh, I need to be a scientist. I need to be studying the scientists. You can get involved with departments like this through other means of like communication and, and media and IT and all these other things um, as well. And I know, you know, my other question was one of my last questions was just, you know, your experience in Juan, you're the first female director of this department. And just throughout your career, you know, conservation on a global scale is very heavily dominated by males. Unfortunately, in the Bahamas, it isn't too bad in regards to the ratio of male to female. But have you found any challenges throughout your career and in your department as the new director? I think this is always an interesting question for me because I mean, even um, in the international global environment, this issue of gender, everybody wants to push the issue of gender. But honestly, for me personally, and for those who know me, I really don't, um, I'm not somebody who's easily browbeaten or I don't feel inferior or subservient to anybody. So I just say what I have to say. 
I can do what I have to do. All, all, all in respect, mind you. Um, and you either take it or you leave it. That's always, I'm just an upfront, frank sort of person. Um, I that notwithstanding the issue of whether or not our society may be male dominated or chauvinistically driven as an as an issue, I'm sure. I'm sure that exists. Mm -hmm. I, I have a department with only three gentlemen. Only three men are in my department, and the majority are as females. Mm -hmm. And I will say to anybody, you hire me to undertake a job, we came to an agreement on pay or hours or whatever that is. I came into this with my eyes wide open. So I'm not going to sit here and cry foul because, oh, what? He getting paid more than me? Well, see... I agree to whatever I agree to. And I'm just using this as an example because this is where people say that the divide generally shows its head mm -hmm. in terms of the salary, right? And in terms of the power. I made an agreement and I'm going to stick to that agreement. I undertook a responsibility and I will feel true to that responsibility. I will do my endeavor best to accomplish those things that I am set out to do. Hmm. I will never quit. You hear me? I don't yeah. quit nothing in my life. I've never been a quitter and I won't start now. If I if anybody doesn't like what I'm gonna what I'm doing or what path I'm taking this department on and they have the power and the authority to replace me, I say, well, go by all means, do what you feel is best. Because I definitely will be doing what I feel is best. Because mm -hmm. ultimately for Jeff, for me, Jeff, it isn't about this life that I have a concern about. It's about how I measure up in the next. So for me, it's all about whether or not I'm doing what God wants me to do with the opportunity to present it to me as the first female director of this department, as the one bringing the Bahamas into this new environmental regime. I take that job and that responsibility very seriously, right? Mm -hmm. and so I will do my best in order to accomplish what I can in the time that I'm allotted. Um, and I'm hoping against hope because... The more I, the longer I sit in this seat and the more I look at the world, we are, we as a country, we are like the last of the best. And, and I see there is trouble ahead for us. And as a people, if we don't get it together, all this rhetoric that we trying to point fingers and do blame and all this sort of, listen, when the birds go, when the fish die, when the land dries up, it don't matter who's sitting in the seat because all of us will be hungry, right? So it's in our best interest to think about how we can best preserve, protect, and sustainably use what it is that we've been blessed with for, for generations. And even in ours, we inherited it because the original owners, you know, they've been long gone. Mm -hmm. So we, we really, really need to stop this, 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 this petty rivalry and these finger pointing, and we need to get it together as a country because we're going to be finding ourselves in dire straits. And, and I couple that by saying, we also need as a people to weigh the pros and cons of things. You know, it's not all about the money now. Oh, we got to make all this money. We got to take all this opportunity. It's about having a plan and having direction and working mm -hmm. towards that plan. 
You may have to drink. All of us can say there were times in our house we ate the corned beef, we drank the tea, and we earned the bread because our parents were preparing us for something better, such as such as the environment. There may be a call to pull back, such that the future will be there for us to be able to enjoy. And if we're not willing to pay those sort of price or consider those type of costs, we will find ourselves like Haiti. We will find ourselves like other countries where the resources have been utilized without discrimination. And now the people are suffering. I don't want to be the one suffering. I don't want to be the one to allow that to happen. So I'm going to do my best to do what is necessary to protect the country, to protect the resources. Mm -hmm. I'm moving forward. And we appreciate your service. And my last point was just to ask you to give some final thoughts to Bahamians, but that was it. Like, wow, I, I definitely, I feel actually so moved by that. And thank you for sharing that. I think we often do forget that what we have right now is inherited and we have to do our part to ensure that the people who inherited after us are, are could be so lucky. You know, it's it's heading in a grim direction. We need to try to do our best to, to get it together. Um, I know. I see some accolades are coming up for you and even Eric has sent one. Uh, you have provided exemplary and very professional leadership of Depp and definitely endears confidence by her own proven competence. We should all support her and the Depp staff as they move us in this new paradigm. And I totally agree. I'm so excited to see some of the things that are gonna come out of your department. I'm so thankful that I was able to snag you on my show. I know I actually did this months ago and you told me, you know, check me in November. And sure enough, here it is November. So thank you. That, that just shows, you know, when you say something, you're going to do something, you do it. And I genuinely appreciate that. And I don't know if you have any more final thoughts for anyone. No, no. I mean, you're most welcome. And I do try to be a woman of my word. And like I said, I'm, I'm frank, so I don't like to mislead you. My word mightn't be something you want to hear. <laughs> you know, it'll be the truth. And I will try to live up to that because I have something greater than me that I must answer to. And that's what drives me. Definitely. So thank you so much for this opportunity and um, I wish you the best in, in your endeavors. Thank you so much. And thank you everyone for watching. Please remember the ocean isn't what separates us and what connects us to each other and to nature. Thank you again for tuning into another episode of Siren Sundays. Enjoy your Sunday and have a blessed evening. Bye. Bye everybody.